We acknowledge traditional owners of the lands on which we recorded these episodes and their elders past and present. This is Graduate in the USA, here to help Australian students take advantage of the many opportunities to study at US colleges and universities. Hello, my name is Samantha Juster and I am the head of public engagement at the United States Embassy in Canberra, Australia. One of the things I really love about my role is overseeing Education USA Australia and working with our fantastic team in Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth. Hearing about Australian students who choose to attend an American college is always very inspiring. I remember when I had to decide where I would go to school, and for me, that involved leaving my home state of Nebraska and heading to Washington, D.C. to attend American University. I'm really looking forward to talking with Liam from New York University, and together we'll explore the topic of how to choose your best fit U.S. college. Not only is Liam incredibly familiar with what listeners will undertake when applying to U.S. colleges, but as an Australian, I'm sure listeners will learn a lot from his own story and professional experiences. Liam, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here and lovely to meet you. Liam, I'd love to hear from you on a couple of things. Can you share your own story of studying in the United States and also what made you decide to stay and join the team at NYU Admission? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in Sydney, Australia, born and raised. I went to school right in the middle of the city and went to an international school. So I was already kind of very exposed to the idea of international education, if not international education in its actuality. When the time came around to, you know, finish up the HSC, I was in New South Wales and applied to university. I was completely at sea. Neither of my parents had gone to uni in Australia. My dad actually ended up moving over to the US around that time. And it was really him that inculcated in me this sense of wanting to explore a horizon beyond Australia. So I applied to universities in both Australia and the US, ultimately received my acceptances around March, and ended up coming over to the US to study at Brown University back in 2012. Graduated in 2016 um, with a Bachelor of Arts in American Studies and Ethnic Studies, which was a very (laughs) winding road towards a subject I never thought I would have an interest in. I started out thinking I'd be an economics major and had absolutely no idea what American studies even was. And I think what really got me interested in staying and and working in education was feeling as though I'd had this completely transformative experience at college in the U.S. that I wouldn't have had in Australia. I knew I could have had amazing opportunities there and amazing experience there, but the actual texture of studying at a university in the U.S. is so different in reality. And the communities I was able to access completely changed my orientation towards the world and what I was passionate about. So it was really that that kind of led me to work in admissions as an undergraduate throughout my four years at Brown, and then also, obviously, to come back into the admissions profession after a year. I I worked in advertising for a year and then returned to admissions at NYU. It's been one of the most affirming experiences to work with students who are in that same position that I was 10 years ago now. It really is so inspiring to see students pushing themselves 
to go for these opportunities, to go for things that they weren't necessarily brought up thinking would be in the cards for them. That's a little bit of my personal history and how I got to where I am today. Fantastic. I think that's a really inspiring story. And I think it really shows some of the strengths of studying in the United States, which is that you can sort of change up what you're doing and follow your passions, even if they lead in directions that you weren't necessarily thinking were possible when you started your studies. Can you explain what the difference is between a liberal arts and a vocational education? Yeah, so I had absolutely no clue what liberal arts meant when I was applying either. I saw it on pretty much every college website that I was looking at as, you know, a core part of their tenets of the academic experience. And what I gathered, essentially, when I moved into working for a college that sees itself as a liberal arts university, is that what they're really asking you to do, regardless of your academic discipline in a liberal arts program, is to learn both broadly and deeply. So that means that you'll be taking courses from across the curriculum. So oftentimes you'll be asked to take an English course, a writing course, a mathematics course, a science course, something in the social sciences. And also you'll be asked to declare a major, which usually happens kind of at the end of your sophomore year. And that is really, I think, the distinctive characteristic about the American system. When I was applying to school in Australia, I was looking at, you know, programs where I had to really start in a particular faculty straight away. So I was looking at a Bachelor of International and Global Studies or a Bachelor of Economics. In the U.S., many colleges will ask you to list an area of interest on the application, but you're not tied to it. So you can still explore from there on out. And then, of course, a vocational kind of degree happens in both places, in the U.S. and in Australia, and those usually lead towards certification, lead towards a particular trade. So you're thinking about, you know, TAFE in Australia, some community and technical colleges in the U.S., but some even liberal arts universities will have uh, educational pathways that are more vocational in nature. When I look at NYU, we have absolutely tons of liberal arts degrees, but in addition to that, we have a nursing program that culminates in students taking their nursing exams um, and being licensed in that field. We have engineering degrees that kind of lead to similar certification. When you see the words liberal arts, that really just means that you're going to have to, you know, take courses across a broad curriculum, but also focus in on something. There are almost 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States, and so it can be incredibly overwhelming to narrow down which colleges and universities you're most interested in. Can you share some tips with students and their parents about how to build a short list of colleges and universities that would be the best fit for them? I love that you frame this around a short list uh, because when I talk to a lot of students, they see it as somewhat of a long list. But the common application allows you to apply to up to 20. We sometimes receive emails from students asking us to let them apply and be their 21st school, but limit yourself. The Common App has that limit in place for a reason. When it comes to actually thinking about putting together that list, I think what is so critical is thinking about personal fit. So I ended up kind of looking at the resources that now I look back on and say, hey, don't use that. The rankings that you'll see when you're searching for U.S. colleges like U.S. News and World Report, they can be really useful in understanding what a college offers, where they're highly regarded in certain ways, but it really doesn't tell you kind of what your experience is going to be when you get to that place, when you arrive on campus, when you start experiencing the life of building, you know, an experience there. So 
I think that that personal aspect is something that's so critical that is harder to assess and harder to begin thinking about. But my advice to students and families who are thinking about putting together these lists is really to dig beyond, you know, what is the top ranked economics program in the U.S.? Because realistically, you will find a ton of amazing economics programs at the U.S. and start thinking about some other things that might be important to you. You know, do you want to live in a city? Are you okay with living in a more rural environment? Do you want a big school? Do you want a small school? That is so critical. And there are schools on every part of that spectrum. There are colleges in the U.S. where they admit 500 students a year and you're on a campus with 2,000 students. There are colleges where they admit 15,000 students a year and you're on a college campus that feels more like a small city. And so I think thinking about those kind of more personal aspects of what you're actually looking for can be really, really helpful to start getting past the noise and the fray of the rankings, because at the end of the day, you are getting a credential from this place, but you're also spending four years of your life at one of these places. And no list, no ranking can tell you whether or not you're going to enjoy those four years. Only you can do that through kind of digging a bit deeper. So go to the information sessions. A lot of them are offered online now, and I think they'll probably continue to be in the the sort of wake of the COVID pandemic, which is also really amazing for, for Australian students and for students from all over the world who can't make it to campus too easily. And getting a sense of how a school talks about itself, how a school, you know, makes sense of itself, that's going to be the critical aspect of building your list. Can you drill down a little bit more into what university rankings do and do not actually demonstrate about schools? This has been a process for me to kind of learn about over the past few years in working at admissions. Different rankings will use different pieces of information, but the things that they're relying on are oftentimes, you know, graduation and retention rates, which is really helpful to think about the amount of students that are completing their degree, how quickly they're completing them, because that's often a good metric to understand how well a school is supporting its students and how the student experience really takes shape. It also incorporates things like how much financial aid students are getting, the perceived quality of the faculty, the perceived quality of the students. A lot of these rankings also factor in assessments by peer schools, which is basically someone at a school saying what they think about another school. And that, to me, is where these rankings are not necessarily the most helpful for an individual student. I think it gives you a sense of how a school is regarded in a particular field, etc. And there is use to these rankings, but it's not going to tell you, again, really what your experience is going to be there. So a lot of times they're often aggregating across the whole school as well. So you might have, I mean, at NYU, we have over 230 majors on offer, various different academic programs and a whole school in which students create their own major. And a ranking is not going to tell you about the relative strength of an economics department as opposed to a social and cultural analysis department, as opposed to a mechanical engineering department. And the rankings that you see the most often are just kind of merging all of that together. So I think rankings have some really useful pieces of information within them, but I'd actually recommend that you go look at those individual pieces of information as opposed to the rankings themselves. You know, if you're concerned about how many students are graduating in four years, go look that up. Most universities will have this information on their website. And a, and a ranking, again, is going to kind of bring all of these different pieces of information, some of which you may care about, some of which you don't, together into, into one metric that 
again, doesn't really shed light on, on the whole experience. I think there's a lot of myths around rankings. I know some students even believe that there's an official U.S. government department that releases these, but it's good to sort of keep them in mind because they can shed some useful light, but they're not the be-all and end-all, and they're certainly not done by any sort of official U.S. government or other organization. Now that we've kind of talked about, you know, taking ratings with some consideration but not basing all of your selection of schools on them, what are some other criteria that you think students should be considering? And what is the best way to research those criteria? So I, I've touched on a few things here. I think fit is critical. Uh, it's really going to be what your experience looks like. When you browse the, the web page that tells you about student life, is there a club that you're excited about? Does the campus look like somewhere you'd like to be? These are all those kind of intangible factors that are really critical in actually choosing a place where you're going to live and study and build a community and build friendships for the next four years. But beyond that, I think additional things to consider, of course, are financial aid. This is something that is very different to the Australian system. Obviously, in Australia, most university educations are going to be heavily subsidized by the government. Uh, and so in the US, that system works completely differently. Some schools will offer incredibly generous financial aid to international students. Other schools will be far more limited in what they can offer. And usually the financial aid department or the financial aid website for a particular school is going to give you some great insight into what that process looks like for you. Most aid is need-based, right? So they're going to ask you for financial aid documents related to your family's financial status, and then they'll come up with an aid package based on that to be able to allow you, hopefully, uh, to afford college at their institution once you receive your acceptance letter. There are other colleges that also award merit-based scholarships, athletic scholarships. I think um, that is something to look into for students who have a talent in a particular area and are looking to go and practice that sport or, or you know, be involved in music or what have you at a college campus in the U.S. But really thinking about, you know, what is going to be affordable for you and your family is going to be critical. But looking past the sticker price is also really critical. I think a lot of students see uh, a cost of attendance per year and get scared. I certainly did. But once you actually work with a school, apply for financial aid, your actual cost per year may be radically different to what it says on the website. Those, I think, are considerations that are really important and something worth having a conversation with your family about right at the beginning of this process and also having conversations with schools about. Another thing that I think is worth really considering in the application process is whether or not that school has an academic area that appeals to you. Like I mentioned, most liberal arts colleges are going to have a broad swath of majors, a broad swath of programs, but there are also schools that have incredibly specific programs, incredibly specific majors that might be a kind of perfect fit for you. So if you're the kind of student that wants to study, you know, the business of the music industry, there are ways to do that in the U.S. At NYU, we have a music business program. There are other colleges that really focus in specifically on that. And some of those colleges can be an absolutely incredible fit for a student who precisely knows what it is that they want to do. On the flip side of that, if you are a student who wants the chance to explore, there may be colleges out there that are not a great fit for you, like thinking about schools that are a bit more focused on math, science, and engineering if you're a student who doesn't know that they want to commit to those areas yet. So 
doing that digging to figure out which programs a school offers and how easy it is even to move between them if you decide that one is not, you know, in your best interests once you actually get there. Those are going to be things that I think you should absolutely consider on the front end. And then I'm sure I could, you know, make a list for for hours here in terms of what to think about in a college. I also think that reaching out to these colleges, reaching out to these places is so essential. In the U.S., every college has an admissions office, and we call ourselves admissions counselors for a reason, because we're really here to speak with students, advise you on what your best fit program might be, advise you about whether or not it sounds like this particular college or this particular university really squares with what it is you want to do and where you want to go. And all of that comes through in the application as well. We want to read applications. We want to read essays from students who understand not just what they can bring to campus, but what they can take away with them from that education. So don't hesitate to reach out to a college if you have clarifying questions or if you want to understand more about what they offer, because that is really our job. And that is really what we're here to do is to support students through that very scary process of figuring out where to spend the next four years. Take a step closer to graduating in the USA. Search for Education USA Australia in your browser or the episode notes in your podcast app. Let's get back to this episode with Samantha Justin and Liam Dean Johnson talking about how to research and find your best fit college. In addition to reaching out to admissions officers who can be fantastic resources, what are the other online resources that you recommend students use when they're researching to find their best fit school? Yeah, so I remember back in the day when I was applying, I feel like it's been long enough where I can say back in the day at this point, individual college (laughs) websites was by far the most useful resource. Colleges are going to be branding themselves on these websites. They are presenting themselves in the best light possible. And that is to be taken with a grain of salt. A college is always going to be the best source of information for what they offer, the nuances of the application process, because in my role, I deal with a lot of students who come to us having heard something or read something on a forum, and it may be completely and patently false. A college's website is typically going to tell you the truth, even if it is a a beautiful version of the truth. Beyond that, I think also looking a bit more broadly at, you know, search engines like the College Board, like CapEx, etc. Those are going to give you a sense of the broad landscape of colleges out there. Uh, On some of those, you can plug and play particular things that you want in a campus, and it'll show you, you know, what it is, or or some colleges that might be a great fit for you. So for example, you could say, I want a medium-sized campus. I want it to be in an urban area. I would like it to have physics and astronomy major. And some of these search websites are going to be able to bring up, you know, what, what is available for you in that area. I always say, you know, going straight to the source is typically going to be the best, the best form of research. There's also forums out there, like I mentioned, that will be helpful in terms of understanding nuances of the application process, often from students who have gone through it before. But this is where it's really important to take the information that you're reading, the information that you're seeing with a grain of salt or a, you know, 
a fistful of salt. Because oftentimes students repeat things on these forums that aren't verified or aren't true or information that's out of date. And so I think if you are using those resources, just don't become consumed by them. Make sure to fact check. And that is always the case in anything you're doing related to the college process or not. Make sure to go to the college if you see something that you might be concerned about. Ask if that's the case, and they should be able to work with you um, to get you the answer that you need. And then beyond that, there's a ton of resources online for thinking about how to actually navigate the application process. That has been helpful for me. And when I work with students, I always advise them to look at some of those resources. One of my favorites is the Johns Hopkins admissions website, which actually shares examples of admissions essays that have worked for them in the past. So admissions essays from accepted students that they thought were really outstanding because writing an essay for college in the U.S. is completely different typically than anything you've done throughout high school in Australia. Or it certainly was for me. And Navigating how to talk about myself in that manner was incredibly unfamiliar. So I think that accessing some of those resources and looking for examples of past essays that worked, looking for examples of how people filled out particular parts of the application, and advice from from admissions counselors who have actually been through it, I think is also really helpful in gearing yourself up for the application process, which can be a lot of work. The process that you outlined contains a lot of research, uh, so potentially a lot of time for students and families. When should students and families start researching if they're interested in potentially attending a U.S. college or university? Yeah, great question. And I know everyone's timeline is going to look a little different here. Truthfully, I arrived pretty late in my high school education at the realization that I wanted to think about college at all let alone college in the U.S., and completed my applications just a few days before the deadline, which I would not recommend <laughs> because, you know, it, it helps to have those in early for peace of mind so the colleges can send you all of your portal login information and all of that good stuff. So I think for students that have the time available to them, for those of you that are listening and you're in year 9 or year 10 right now, it's never too early to start thinking about these considerations. But I think the kind of optimal time to begin putting together a list and thinking about where it is you really want to focus on would be probably towards the end of year 11, uh, the start of year 12. Give yourself that full year where I know you're going to be busy taking exams, studying for HSC or the VC or the WAC or wherever it is you are, and make sure that you are starting to think about putting together particular pieces of the application for each college that you're looking at, because we all have different requirements over time. It also helps to, you know, think a little bit earlier than that, even about the application process more generally, in terms of if you would like to take a standardized test, that's probably something that you would like to start thinking about in year 11. I took mine in the middle of year 12, right as I was gearing up for my HSE trial examinations, and that was one of the more hellish times of my life, which I would not recommend to anyone. So I think some of those general features of the application process, like taking a standardized test, which a lot of schools aren't, haven't been requiring for the past few years uh, due to the impacts of COVID, but may require again in the future. That's a really great thing to start thinking about in year 11. The actual nuances of, I'm applying to this school, here is what I need to produce for this school. 
I think putting that list together in year 12 would be absolutely sufficient, but starting to think about it right at the start of that year, because once you get heavily into the swing of things and taking final exams, you're going to be too busy to think about it. I also think that on that note, it is in some ways critical to wait a little bit before you start putting together some of your application materials. Because who I was at the start of year 11 and who I was midway through year 12 were in some ways radically different people. And I was applying for colleges at the end of year 12 as that person who had a particular set of interests. And so you want your essays and you want the the supplemental essays that each school is going to require to be true to who you are now, true to your interests, true to your advanced, evolved style of writing. And that's something that you can only do, you know, kind of closer to that date. So don't feel like you need to prepare everything, all of your essays, all of your test scores two years out from the application process, but starting to think about what kind of schools might interest you and the the general idea of, you know, which tests you need to take, what you'll need to do to be eligible for some of these colleges, those you can start Uh, putting together in year 11 before you kind of hone in on the details closer to your graduation. The process of applying for a U.S. college or university is definitely very different than applying for an Australian school. What are ways in which Australian students and families can reduce the stress of the application process if they're interested in potentially going to the United States for studies? I wish there was one piece of advice that I could share with you all that would do that. I think The reality is it will be stressful because it's not something that Australian students are prepared for in the same way. We don't grow up taking test prep to take the SAT or the ACT. We don't grow up starting to think about how to put together a compelling narrative for a college essay. When I think about what might be useful for reducing stress. I think it is starting early, making sure that you know where you want to apply, what it is that excites you, and and specifically also why you want to come to the U.S., because that's going to make your essays also jump off the page, right? When you have a sense of something that you want to convey to an admissions committee or to the admissions counselor that is reading your file. Another piece to be aware of is that you should start thinking about that financial piece as early on as possible because so many students that I've worked with are just thinking about the admissions piece. They completely forget about the financial aid piece and financial aid deadlines, and then they receive their admissions decision and they realize that they never submitted their form to be considered for scholarships, never submitted a financial aid form. So... Starting to have conversations with your family about what is feasible for them uh, financially in terms of attending college in the U.S. And choosing colleges that are going to be within target there is also going to hopefully minimize stress a little bit later on in the process. And then finally, this is more of a personal tip. I am staunchly pro-spreadsheet. I highly recommend that when you start doing your research about these colleges, you start putting together whatever works for you. It can be a spreadsheet, it can be a pros-cons list, it can be a Word document that outlines what each school is going to require of you, when their application deadline is, any additional essays that they're going to ask you to prepare, because that's how you're going to plan out your time. And this is something that really helped me through the process because if you don't do this and if you lose track of those deadlines, 
you could be saddled with writing 10 different supplemental essays on December 31st for January 1st deadlines, and no one wants to be doing that. So I think setting out early how much time you're going to take to to put these different pieces of the application puzzle together will be critical. Application process has kind of come up at a tough time because it's usually right after you've finished your final exams for year 12 to graduate. Um, it's usually right around your, when you're getting your ATAR. So it's a stressful time and you probably just want to rest. You probably just want to celebrate. So I think if you start reflecting on what it is you need to submit, reflecting on what kind of pieces you need to get together several months in advance of that, it's going to really lighten the load when you actually get around to that time. Great. How can parents be most helpful in the application and admissions process? I don't know if I am the best person to answer this because I (laughs) never let my parents see anything I was submitting beyond the stuff that was very relevant to them. But I actually regret that now. I think I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't show my parents my essays and show my parents what I was writing because I think the best thing that a parent can do for their student at the end of the day is to support them and encourage them to be their most authentic self in these application processes. A lot of the time, parents see the U.S. application process as something in which a student needs to sell themselves, needs to have a very particular brand, you know, needs to put together a dossier of what they've done that's incredibly well-rounded, that they need to be a sports star and a musician and someone who has incredible academics. But the reality is, on this side of the desk, when we are reviewing applications, we're excited about whatever it is that excites you. Of course, a lot of schools are looking for strong academics and kind of a baseline there, but don't feel that you need to present just a picture of a person who loves business if you're applying to a business program. You can also be a person who loves music and loves equestrian and tell us about that. So I think that parents are going to be most useful when they step back a little bit from those more personal pieces of the application process and let students really write something and craft an application that makes sense to them and and that truly shows who they are and what they're passionate about and what they care about. But parents should also, of course, be actively engaged in the process of figuring out where it is that they're able to support their student applying, that they're able to support from a financial perspective, you know, what's going to make sense for the family. Those kinds of discussions, I think, if a parent starts to bring those up earlier on in the process, can lighten that load for the student and can really, you know, empower the student as well to be thinking about what their options might be. But when it comes to the actual pieces of the application itself, I think, I always tell students that this is your chance to just kind of talk about yourself and what makes you tick, because that, at the end of the day, is what we want to see. If your parent or your guardian or your best friend were to pick up your essay off you know, the floor of your high school or the floor of your home, they should be able to know that you wrote that immediately. It should kind of ooze who you are as a student. So use your parents and use the people in your life that are around you to get a sense of whether your application feels authentic and whether or not it's giving the admissions committee a sense of who you are and what you can really bring to campus. Can you talk a little bit about how U.S. colleges and universities are trying to build diverse campus communities? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
that this is something that can cut so many different ways that could pertain to ideological diversity, it could pertain to the different life experiences that students have had before they come to campus, it could pertain, of course, to any number of identities, whether that is race or ethnicity or gender or sexuality, ability, religion. All of these pieces are pieces of the the application process and the admissions process that you're able to declare if you like. You don't have to declare any particular identities. But when we are reading an application on the other side, once you've submitted it, what we are really excited about is bringing together a community on campus that has something you know, to learn from one another and where students can really grow from exposure to diverse perspectives, can grow from exposure to people with completely different interests than them. Because a college campus would not be interesting if it was a thousand students who were ducks in Australia and a thousand people who were president of student government because we can't just have everyone on campus be the same kind of type A student. We want students with different passions, with different ideas of who they are, with different pieces of their background that are going to illuminate what's happening in the classroom but also outside of the classroom. And I think that's what really makes the American college campus such an exciting place. It's that you have people from all over, maybe all 50 states and 100 plus countries outside of that, together in this shared space, all learning and growing up, spending these formative years of their life together. So that is something that I think that every college in the US is really heavily considering and and waiting in their process to think about how do we bring together folks who, you know, are going to bring something different to campus, bring something unique to campus. You are being evaluated as a full person, which is something that I love about the U.S. application process. And that takes into account all of these different spaces that you occupy, all of these different identities that you occupy, but it doesn't hinge on it. So in my experience, colleges are looking to create diverse communities for everyone's benefit, really. And it's not something that you should worry too much about in putting together your application, what you should be worried about is just making sure that your application is authentic to you so that you can, you know, realistically and truly be evaluated to be a part of that campus community based on who you are. So circling back to your own really interesting college experience, is there any particular experience that you would point to as something that was really memorable or inspiring to you while you were a student? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I I mean, so many. I think that what pops immediately into my mind is an experience that I had in the summer after my second year, which happened really through the resources that my college had and, and the professors that I had worked with. So I told you already that I came into Brown thinking I would be an economics and political science major. I left an American studies and ethnic studies major. and. All the way through college, I (laughs) did not anticipate that and actually made my way through a few other different areas of study, including urban studies and notably archaeology, which I was uh, majoring in for about two of my years as an undergraduate. And I absolutely loved it. I was excited about, you know, kind of the history and particularly the material culture of the ancient world. And I took incredible classes with incredible professors who, 
also ran digs every summer all around the world. And one of those courses was called The Lost Languages, The Study and Decipherment of Ancient Writing Systems. And it's kind of crazy that I still remember that course title 10 years later. And it was about ancient languages that, you know, are not often studied today, but thinking about it from a linguistic perspective, but also from a historiographical perspective. And the professor ran a really incredible dig that summer in Turkey, and I applied to be a part of the archaeological expedition and ended up on that dig that summer. So we spent about six weeks out in the south western part of Turkey. It was outside of a town called Milas, and the site itself was called Labronda. And we were excavating a hypostyle temple, which was basically a temple with a bunch of columns um, that was from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, and really trying to reconstruct from an architectural perspective what it might have looked like before it collapsed. And that experience, I think, taught me so much in so many different ways, but notably and most of all about what knowledge production can look like. I was not sitting behind a computer. I was not reading books, but I was there with some of my friends from college with professors and we would gather every night and every morning to eat breakfast that was, you know, often sourced from the area right around where we were sleeping. We were in a campsite (laughs) sleeping in tents every night and we were still creating knowledge and thinking about what this beautiful place might have looked like in the past back when it was in a functioning society. So that was one of those moments, a long six-week moment, that really changed my perspective and really excited me about what education can do. I never anticipated that that could be something that I was a part of, but it's something that I still carry with me as this incredible kind of life-changing experience that not only took me to this beautiful part of the world, but also allowed me to connect with professors and connect with my fellow students in a way that was really hinging on what we were excited about learning. And that really carried us through that trip together. So that's definitely one of my favorite moments from college and something that I still think about and often miss when the New York winters are a little bit grayer and colder than it was in Turkey that that summer. So I think we have time probably for sort of one final question. So If you were in a room full of Australian students who are considering studying in the United States, what would be the main point you would want to get across to them? Uh, Good question. I have been in so many rooms full of Australian students considering studying in the U.S., and I still don't have one particular answer to this. But I think if I had to pick something, the key thing I would say is if you end up coming to the U.S. and coming to an immersive college atmosphere where you are living on campus and learning on campus, expect to leave potentially a completely different person than the person you came in as. I think a lot of students these days think about college and think about tertiary education as a way to move into a particular career or a way to move into a particular field, but I think that the U.S. environment and my experience in college in the U.S. really encouraged me to think about it as a space for growth and a space for learning and a space for failing and getting back up again. And 
trying something completely different. And I think that that is kind of the key thing that students should be aware of and should be open to in coming to the U.S. for college. The level of diversity on college campuses, the level of exploration that you have is going to be probably unlike what you've experienced in the past. And that's something that I credit with so much of my own personal growth and something that I'm always so excited about sharing with students. And the fact that you can, you know, come in thinking you want to do one thing and graduate in a completely different area with completely different passions, I think is really, really special because there are not many other times in your life where you have that flexibility and that freedom to create and try new things and experiment with what kind of person you can be. So that's probably the advice I would give, which is maybe a little bit looser than than what you were expecting. But I, I do really think that thinking about college as, as a place of growth and exploration and change rather than just a ticket to kind of the next period of your life or a career is really critical when you're thinking about applying to to a liberal arts education or really any education in the U.S. Thank you so much, Liam. I think that that's a really great answer because the truth is it is choosing to take a step off the beaten path to study in the United States. And it is for people who are interested in exploration and, and sort of seeing what's out there. So really appreciate uh, that answer and the rest of your really fantastic responses during the course of the session. So with that, that draws our session to a close. Thank you so much for your time and generosity, Liam, in sharing your experiences as well as your professional knowledge of the application process. Do you have any final words for our listeners today? Good luck. Always be in touch with us if you do have any questions and go out there and change the world. We're excited to see, you know, who you are now and we're excited to review your application in that light. But we're also excited to see who you'll become and who our colleges can allow you to become, you know, four years from now. So we're excited about learning about you. And remember that when it gets stressful and you're worried about this process, we are always kind of on your side and rooting for you to succeed. Thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Samantha. On the next episode, How to Produce a Strong U.S. College Application, hear from Adele Gillen, the Public Affairs Officer in Sydney, and Liz O'Connell, who is a Senior Associate Dean at the Office of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening to this episode of Graduate in the USA. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and share the show with a friend or high school student who you think is interested in doing their tertiary studies in the USA. I'm Samantha Jackson from Education USA Australia in Melbourne. Projects take a team. Thanks to all of our supporters of this podcast series, but a special thanks to all at US Public Affairs Australia, Tim Johnson, Samantha Justa, Gabrielle Canallan, the Education USA Network, and of course, our session guests, who without them, this series is not possible. This is Samantha Jackson, and thanks for joining us in Graduate in the USA.